BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, it's hot outside and it's going to get hotter. California is bracing for a scorching holiday weekend where temperatures could easily be over 110 degrees in the Inland Empire and the San Fernando, San Joaquin and Sacramento Valleys. Here's Governor Newsom. We are anticipating uh, this extreme heat to be a length and duration likes of which we haven't experienced in some time. We'll look at why this is happening, who's most at risk of getting sick, even dying, and how to stay safe. Join us. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. It's hot, and it will be for a while in California, as the hottest and longest heat wave so far this year, according to forecasters, bears down on the state. Between now and next Wednesday, we're going to be experiencing a prolonged heat uh, moment. We're going to have opportunity now in the next number of days to experience, many of us, uh, what many have not experienced back to back to back to back to back, and that's triple-digit uh, weather. That's Governor Gavin Newsom at a press conference yesterday where he signed an executive order to temporarily boost the state's energy supply ahead of the worst of this heat wave. David Lawrence is with us, a meteorologist and emergency response specialist at the National Weather Service. David, thanks so much for being on Forum. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having us today. So I want to ask you, heat waves are pretty common in California. What makes this one unusual? Well, certainly, as you mentioned, uh, it's not unusual for us to have heat. We've certainly seen stretches of heat throughout the summer so far. This one, though, is a bit out of the ordinary. In fact, uh, record-breaking and historic, we'll probably call it by the time we wrap things up, in that Mm. we're seeing at least uh, five to seven days in many areas of triple-digit temperatures, as you mentioned at the beginning. And also coupling that with the fact that overnight low temperatures are not cooling down very much. We're looking at uh, 60s for those areas that are lucky, but mostly 70s and 80s for overnight low temperatures. So we're just not seeing the relief from the heat that we're getting during the daytime hours. It's extending right on through the night as well. Wow. Why are warm nights particularly concerning? Well, because we don't get a lot of relief. In fact, a lot of studies have shown uh, that the folks that have injuries or sometimes even fatalities from uh, heat waves, uh, they're inside buildings that actually trap that heat to begin with. So whereas you might have a a nice cooling effect on a a night where temperatures drop into the 50s and you have your windows open, uh, when it's only in the 70s or 80s, the temperature indoors of these buildings is just not cooling off at all. So it just really magnifies the effect of the uh, daytime heat extending right onto the night as well. I see. In terms of meteorology, what's causing this heat wave, this prolonged heat wave? It's a a very stagnant weather pattern we're seeing that's developed not only across California, but much of the Western United States here. Uh, It's really just gotten going the last couple of days, but it will continue right on through the holiday weekend uh, and to the first half, at least, of of next week as well. 
And, and that weather pattern is featuring a big area of high pressure in the atmosphere. Uh, under that, we see sinking air. And when air sinks, it tends to uh, warm considerably. And that warmth then spreads out at the surface and gives us those very hot temperatures. And as I mentioned, the pattern's stagnant. There's just not a lot to move it along right now. Uh, the jet stream is way up in Canada, so there's not a lot of wind in the atmosphere to push this pattern out of the place just yet. Uh, it will eventually happen. There is some good news at the end of the tunnel there, but that's not going to occur until probably the middle to latter portions of next week. Mm, is this what people call a heat dome, like this dome that sort of traps, as you say, the stagnant heat? Absolutely. That is a great term, and it really is. It's a big dome of high pressure. That's where that term comes from. And underneath that high pressure uh, a ridge, as we call it, or dome of lots of heat. And this one happens to be particularly strong uh, and very impactful, we suspect, especially given the time of the year where temperatures uh, historically for many portions of the state are beginning to cool, climatologically speaking. But in this case, we're seeing them continue to climb, again, well into the 100 to 115 degree range for many areas each afternoon. What role, David, does climate change play in the heat dome we're seeing, other extreme heat waves? It's a fantastic question. Uh, the, the overall thing that we like to focus on is no one particular weather event, be it extreme or routine, uh, can really be tied to the longer term climate change trend. However, what we are seeing is these events are becoming much more frequent, especially across the Western United States over the last 20 to 40 years plus. And not only are they becoming more frequent, they're becoming more intense when they do occur. So the long-term trend has definitely been for much more intense heat waves, again, especially across uh, much of the Western U.S., of course, affecting the state of California as well. Yeah. What does it mean for fire risk in the state? We've already heard about some fires that exploded near Castaic and at the southern border that grew fast, despite there not being a ton of wind in the forecast, right, with this heat dome? You're exactly correct. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of wind. Uh, we will see a little bit across the far northern portions of the state tomorrow. And we're seeing some locally gusty conditions, which are pretty typical in and around some of the uh, southern mountains and foothills. That, that happens most afternoons. But even with the lack of wind, just the fact that we've seen a very hot summer, uh, very dry conditions for most of the state, uh, that just really compounds the problem because all the, the fuels, if you will, all of the grasses and the uh, the trees and all the dead brush really has dried out even more and will continue to do so over the next seven days or so. So even without seeing those strong winds that uh, many folks might associate with, uh, you know, a big fire weather day, uh, we're seeing lots of fire potential just because it's so hot, it's so dry, that it only takes one quick spark uh, to, uh, to ignite a fairly sizable uh, fire, much like we've seen over the last couple of days. David, you've been saying take this heat wave seriously. Uh, you told that to our producer. Is it that because we're used to heat waves in California, as opposed to maybe other places where they're less common, that we tend not to take them as seriously? We, we really do want folks to take all, all weather seriously that is severe in nature. But this one is particularly likely to be impactful uh, simply for, for two main reasons. One is just the extended stretch Many heat waves in California, at least in terms of triple digit temperatures uh, across a, a large portion of the state, which is what we're expecting here, they only last a couple of days, historically speaking. Um, this one, however, is, is a solid five to seven, maybe eight or nine days in some areas. And again, as we mentioned earlier, the overnight lows are really compounding the problem here is we're, we're seeing those temperatures just not cooling off at night. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, we're really just kind of adding to the, to the uh, potential uh, problems there because of, of just not seeing those overnight recoveries that we normally would see uh, in many other types of heat waves. 
Well, again, I appreciate you coming on, David. Thank you. Absolutely pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. David Lawrence is a meteorologist and emergency response specialist with the National Weather Service. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an action plan for this heat wave? Or has there been a time when California's heat really affected you? There are so many climates in California. I'm also curious, what temperature do you consider uncomfortable? What does extreme heat mean to you? Because I know it really varies for different people. You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Joining us now is Dr. Gina Solomon, Director of the Achieving Resilient Communities Project at Oakland's Public Health Institute and Clinical Professor of Medicine at UCSF. Dr. Solomon, thank you so much for being with us. I'm happy to be here. So it's often said that we don't realize until it becomes an emergency how much the heat is affecting us. So can you tell us what are the early signs that we should be on the lookout for? David Lawrence is absolutely right that we need to take heat seriously. It's easy for some people to say, oh, well, we're used to heat, or other people to say, oh, it'll be kind of nice for it to be a warm weekend. Um, But heat really does kill people. And in fact, uh, it kills hundreds or depending on the numbers that you look at, uh, thousands of people in this state every year. Um, not necessarily from the immediate heat stroke type illnesses, but also from uh, secondary uh, illnesses such as uh, the strain that it puts on the heart resulting in cardiovascular uh, events or the strain that it puts on the kidneys resulting in uh, hospital admissions or emergency room visits for uh, kidney-related failure. And so um, there are a lot of ways that heat can affect us. The other thing that it um, does is during pregnancy, it puts quite a stress both on the body of uh, the pregnant person, but also the baby and can result in um, adverse birth outcomes, including uh, premature births and even potentially birth defects. Wow. What are some of the what are some of the signs in uh, a in heat-related illness, some of the things that you see first are um, sort of headache and fatigue. People feel crummy. Um, they might notice their heads pounding. They feel a little bit of nausea, a little bit of dizziness perhaps. People's skin tends to be cold and clammy at that point. And that's the time to intervene. So if you notice that in yourself or someone who you're with, you need to get that person into a cool place. You need to put uh, water on them or wet uh, towels on them. And you need to get them uh, more uh, hydrated. You need to get them drinking water or other fluids to to, uh, get them uh, back into a, a normal um, sort of physiological state. That is important to do before it gets more severe and turns into true heat stroke. And can you just say a little bit more about what true heat stroke looks like? What happens to people? That's something we really don't want to see. Um, heat stroke, uh, people uh, become 
agitated, uh, confused, very dizzy. They often you know, will collapse at a certain point. Uh, their skin is hot and dry, typically. They're no longer able to sweat and cool themselves. And that's because their core body temperature is shooting up over 103 degrees uh, or higher. And at that point, it starts to cause uh, the proteins and other uh, tissues in our bodies to break down. That is a true medical emergency. We're way past the point of putting somebody in the shade and giving them something to drink. If somebody um, is confused, dizzy, collapsed, uh, their skin is hot and dry, and it and they're out in the heat, this is time to call 911, get them to uh, an emergency department as fast as possible in an effort to save their life. Well, Marsha tweets, please address the additional dilemmas we face during heat waves while we're in the pandemic, like how to ventilate indoor spaces when the outdoor air is increasingly polluted by ozone and or particle pollution. Dr. Solomon, are you worried that going through this heat wave in pandemic times has an exacerbating effect? Absolutely. And this is one of the things that that we were going to see anyway with climate change, where we start to have uh, one disaster piling on top of another. And then the pandemic uh, was sort of out of left field, makes things even more complicated. But, you know, one of the things that it will do is is make many people um, more reluctant to go to a cooling center or a, or a mall or someplace, a library where they mm. might be able to get into air conditioning and cool off. And that's unfortunate because uh, heat does kill. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. We're talking with Dr. Gina Solomon of uh, the University of San Francisco, University of California, San Francisco, and also of the Public Health Institute. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the long heat wave we're in for in California through Labor Day with Dr. Gina Solomon, director of the Achieving Resilient Communities Project at the Public Health Institute and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of California at San Francisco. Let me tell you quickly what we're talking about tomorrow. State lawmakers just wrapped up their session and the grab bag of new legislation looks at what stays on a criminal record, access to mental health care for California's kids, aggressive approaches to combating the effects of climate change. KQED political correspondent Marisa Lagos will guest host a roundup of what happened in Sacramento this session. So tune in tomorrow for that. Tune in now to talk more about the heat wave. And listeners, if you want to share whether you have an action plan for it or any tips, if there's been a time when California's heat really seriously affected you or if you've been noticing 
the fact that heat waves are getting longer and more intense. Or just curious if there's a temperature that you consider uncomfortable with California being such a big state. We've got calls coming in. Let me go to Richard in Vallejo. Hi, Richard. Hello. Hi. You're on. Uh, yes, I just want to make the comment that uh, marijuana lowers body temperature by two degrees. Oh, is that true, Dr. Sullivan? I've never heard that, uh, but uh, there, you know, the main uh, focus, I think, would be on other things that are well proven to lower body temperature, uh, being in the shade or a cool place, uh, making sure that you get hydrated. Um, so uh, I I would tend to focus on the the, the the things that are proven to help people uh, in the heat. Well, AJ writes, when it's 100 degrees outside, my apartment is 90 degrees inside. And because the heat stays trapped in the attic, my apartment will be warm all afternoon and night and won't cool down much during the heat wave. I plan on going to some air-conditioned places like the movie theater or the indoor mall in order to stay cool Dr. Solomon, who is most affected by heat waves? Who are the people that are particularly at risk? When you're thinking about risk from heat, I mean, obviously you think about how hot it's going to be, how long, and whether it's going to cool down at night. But you also really want to think about the person. And you think about, you know, even with healthy people, if they're doing something that is going to put them at risk, that's a problem. For example, taking a big hike or working outdoors. Farm workers um, die from heat-related illness um, at rates that are significantly higher, uh, up to about 20 times higher uh, than national rate of heat uh, illnesses and deaths. Um, but it also depends on where you are, as the caller said. You know, if you're in a place that's hot or in an area where there's no tree canopy, a, a so-called urban heat island. Um, and it depends on you, on your underlying health status. Uh, people who are uh, seniors, uh, young children, uh, people who are pregnant, and people with underlying medical conditions, such as heart conditions, diabetes, kidney conditions, all of those folks face a greater risk of heat illness. And so they're the ones who really um, especially need to take care during these times. With kids, is it a function of the fact that they're just smaller or, you know, a little more vulnerable in that way? Or is it also the fact that they might not be the best advocates for when they're thirsty? Yes, you absolutely nailed it there. Um, young kids, I mean, they might get thirsty, but, uh, you know, if the, if the parent is not providing uh, f liquid frequently enough, you know, sometimes it's hard to remember, oh, my gosh, got to keep pouring it in. Um, and uh, so there's that. But also, uh, young children have a much greater body uh, surface area compared to their body core. And what that means is that they're losing a lot of fluid from their skin, uh, from sweating, and they don't have the same reserves to draw on as a, as a large adult. And so um, kids can deplete their uh, body fluids and the salts that we know as electrolytes much more quickly. I was struck also that as we get older, our thirst drive diminishes? 
Yeah, isn't that interesting? Um, as as people age, they um, tend not to get thirsty as easily or kind of recognize that they are thirsty. Um, and it's um, it's a well-observed phenomenon with aging um, and something where as people get older, they need to actually be reminded or remind themselves to drink. And so this is a good time to, you know, uh, to do that, uh, if you're if you're with elders or you have neighbors or family who are older, um, try to keep reminding them to drink. Make sure they do. Or um, if you are older, you might even need to set a reminder on your phone and just keep making sure every hour you're you're getting some liquids into yourself. Though non-alcoholic and non-caffeinated, please not uh, not any liquids. Yeah, because that'll just deplete. <laughs> right. You just end up, uh, you know, you run to the bathroom more because of the uh, diuretic effect of caffeine and alcohol. And that doesn't help you in the long run. Yeah. And it's good reminder to, to check on people. I texted my mom who's in the Inland Empire, which is one of the areas that's supposed to be yeah, a bit hard. Yeah. Uh, well, let me go to caller Steve in Woodside. Hi, Steve. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Um, I've worked outdoor all my life. I'm a landscape contractor, and I thought I might pass along uh, quite a few of the things you just talked about are things that I abide by when I'm out working outdoors. Um, so if you're game, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown. Please. <laughs> okay, so if you have to be outside, start early and leave early if you can. Don't do it. You know, if you, mornings are always okay during a heat wave, almost always okay. Um Get hydrated and stay hydrated. Uh, you can gauge it by the color of your urine. If it turns really orange, you're already behind the eight ball and should just stop what you're doing and go inside and drink the water. Same thing about alcohol and caffeine. They don't help. Uh, electrolytes are important if you're sweating a lot. Um, what I normally do is wear a big brim hat and put a wet towel underneath the back of the brim and let it go on the back of my neck. That tends to help me keep my brain because it cools down the, the um, arteries going hmm. up to my brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just pay, yeah, just pay attention because if if you're starting to feel weird, it, you just need to. Yeah, the other thing is also take it slow. Just take it slow. Well, Steve, those are down. those are really great. Thank you. Um, as a landscape contractor who lives in Fresno, I, I imagine you've had to use these strategies a lot. I love that Steve is also bringing up the fact that. You know, when you start to feel a little weird, one of the things that people do express is just this sense of confusion. And I think that's what surprises people is is you would sort of recognize, right, when you're getting hot. But but the confusion, Dr. Solomon, can that actually stop you from seeking the very basic kinds of relief that might even be available to you? Yeah, everything that Steve said is right on. I I 100% agree, and I do love the fact that he has learned to monitor himself, and I'm sure also the people who work with him, um, to make sure that everybody's okay and to take action. Go inside if you know if your urine starts to look dark. Obviously, um, some people actually don't even register that they haven't gone to the bathroom in hours. Um, and um, so, you know, you have to make sure that you're tracking. Um, 
what are you doing okay and are the people around you doing okay and if you start to notice any changes um, in how you're feeling to really tune into those um, a lot of people just sort of try to bully on through and keep going and that is absolutely the wrong and actually dangerous thing to do Dr. Solomon, I understand that you have been working with farm workers in the Central Valley who, of course, are especially at high risk from heat-related issues. One of the things that uh, Steve brought up was being willing to go inside, being able to do those kinds of things. But I wonder if you are a farm worker, if it is difficult to have the autonomy and control over how and when you seek uh, shelter, a break, and so on. There are in California, fortunately, some rules that employers need to follow um, regarding heat. Uh, so farm workers legally are entitled to rest breaks at a certain frequency, depending on the temperature, uh, cool water available to drink, shade. Um, and I've noticed that the um, that that this um, starting early and ending early um, approach of trying to work in the mornings that Steve mentioned is something that is now uh, you know quite quite common, but it's not across the board. Uh, it's, it's not always happening. And uh, unfortunately, as I said before, farm workers are at much, much greater risk of heat-related illness and death compared to the general population. And that's got to change. So more needs to be done uh, for our farm worker populations. The, the worst situation is when it's also smoky, uh, so they're dealing with uh, poor air quality. Possibly they're applying pesticides, so they need to be in long pants and long sleeves uh, because of uh, contact with chemicals. Um, and uh, you can imagine how hot that gets. So um, it's, a, it's a community at great risk. Also, just to add one more thing, many of them, when they go home, they're living in homes that are not air-conditioned, um, often um, in mobile homes that are um, really not weatherized well, so they're, the homes get very hot. So mm. there's really no relief at night. Uh, so there's a lot that needs to be done. Yeah. Actually, I want to bring into the conversation now uh, Kelly Turner, co-director of the Luskin Center for Innovation, which conducts policy research about environmental challenges. Kelly Turner is also associate professor of urban planning and geography at UCLA Kelly, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. You have called heat the greatest environmental and equity challenge facing California today. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, for two reasons. One, because we are experiencing climate-related increases in temperature, and that some folks, for the, some of the reasons that our previous caller was talking about, are just more sensitive to heat and that tracks to groups such as low income and community of, of colors. But also we're designing cities in a way that the places where these people dwell just tend to be hotter. The, the core infrastructure tends to be hotter. So they're hit, getting sort of a double whammy here with both climate change and urban design. Can you say more about that? How are they hotter? Why are they hotter? So it sounds like we basically designed it to be this way. 
Yeah, so the the term the urban heat island gets used more frequently now, which I'm glad about. Um, that's sort of this regional phenomenon that cities tend to be hotter because they have a lot of asphalt and other, other impervious surfaces that trap the heat and slowly re-radiate it throughout the day, making it hotter in the late afternoon and evenings. And that's true of most urban contexts. Um, however, that's just a snapshot of what's going on with heat. Um, when we talk about heat, um, for instance, David, um, your previous guest was speaking about the air temperature, the heat dome, which is going to be over 100 degrees for, for a period of time. We have other ways of talking about heat. Sometimes we talk about surface temperature. Um, and so that's sort of the skin temperature of the earth. But we can also talk about the human experience of heat, which is measured through other means. Um, and so the human experience of heat is the result of many factors, including air temperature, which is reported on the weather, but also factors like exposure to sunlight and heat re-radiating re off of surfaces. Um, and so when a person is in a community that um, is full of lots of asphalt, doesn't have a lot of green vegetation and doesn't have a lot of shade, the total heat experience is going to be much hotter than somebody who has plenty of shade and not a lot of sort of that built asphalt and surface. Mm. Well, um, I want to bring into the conversation, I understand we have on the line Assemblymember Eduardo Garcia, who represents parts of Riverside and Imperial Counties. Assemblymember Garcia, thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation. We're just talking with Kelly Turner about inequities related to heat. And there was a UC Davis study that showed that the largest disparities actually showed up in the Riverside and San Bernardino counties. I understand that you are trying to address issues related to heat, especially in populations like those among your constituents who are farm workers and others. Can you tell us a little bit about your efforts? Sure. Uh, and it's a collective effort uh, that has been put forward by our leadership in the state assembly, working with a number of different partners, uh, such as insurance commissioner, uh, Ricardo Lara, our chair of natural resources. And these efforts are to not only look at ways of ranking, you know, these extreme heat uh, experiences that are taking place uh, in California for purposes of getting people prepared and also making sure that, uh, you know, those who are working outside have uh, the ability to mitigate and minimize uh, those risks that are taking place. I appreciate uh, the conversation that's taking place here around the issue of farm workers and outdoor workers in the landscape industry. Those are two major industries in our area. And, yeah. uh, legislation was introduced and a handful of bills are sitting on the governor's desk, such as uh, one bill that looks to um, increase uh, the standards of the outdoor heat um, policies, uh, asking OSHA and other agencies to really take a look at uh, the impacts of these longer, hotter days that are taking place. Uh, we know that uh, heat uh, we uh, refer to as the um, silent killer, right? Because there are uh, very few indications, particularly in poor communities. Uh, an example is farm workers who have a number of other challenges uh, that they face that when they uh, are confronted with these extreme heat circumstances working outside, um, it's rarely identified as that it was the heat that created the illness and or the unfortunate death. Uh, in some cases, 
uh, mm. because of all of the other long list of challenges, uh, health uh, challenges that uh, uh, this population already experiences. Yeah, that's a good point. There has been a lot of talk about how heat-related deaths are underreported because the death is attributed to something that may have been caused by the heat, but but stated as some other reason than heat. Uh, Assemblymember, I also understand that your bill, 2238, uh, would become the first basically statewide warning system for extremely hot weather. It passed uh, out from lawmakers last night in the session last night and is headed to the governor. What would this do? What would advance warnings do if we did create this statewide warning system? Well, I'd like to acknowledge that uh, the work is uh, being done in collaboration with our insurance commissioner and being led by uh, Assemblymember Luz Rivas from the San Fernando Valley, who represents some of the hottest parts of Los Angeles. Uh, And we have uh, decided that this approach could save lives because uh, by identifying uh, regions of the state through this ranking system uh, and advanced warning, we are able to mobilize. Uh, state, uh, county, local resources uh, to be able to prevent, you know, the illnesses and in some cases the the death of uh, folks who live in our uh, in our state. Uh, that's kind of uh, the essence of the proposal. It would be a first of its kind, and and it is something that we uh, were looking at and talking about upon our return from Glasgow. Uh, at the UN uh, COP26 conference. Uh, There are some places around the world that have done this, and uh, we believe that uh, this is extremely important for a state like California to lead the effort here in our great uh, state. Well, Assemblymember Garcia, I understand that you are very busy and need to leave us, so I thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity to share what's happening uh, here in the California State Legislature on this issue. Eduardo Garcia, assembly member for parts of Riverside and Imperial County. Also with us is V. Kelly Turner, co-director of the Luskin Center for Innovation, associate professor of urban planning and geography at UCLA. And Gina Solomon, a clinical professor of medicine at UCSF. More with you, our listeners, too, after the break. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about California's long heat wave that we are in and how we, the state, others are and should be responding to it. We're talking with Dr. Gina Solomon, Director of the Achieving Resilient Communities Project 
at the Public Health Institute in Oakland, also Kelly Turner, co-director of the Luskin Center for Innovation, which conducts policy research about environmental challenges, including heat. And you, our listeners, are sharing with us if you have tips or an action plan for heat. If there's a time when California's heat really affected you, if you're noticing the extreme heat, or just any questions, 866-733-6786 is the number, 866-733-6786. You can email forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Susan in San Francisco. Thanks for waiting, Susan. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I had two questions when I um, started calling in, and now I've also got a comment. First comment is what Mr. Garcia was saying about the difficulty of farm workers being able to show that their um, injury was caused by heat. I'm a workers' compensation attorney, and insurance companies will fight causation issues up and down. And so... They'll send the send the injured worker to a doctor who will say, oh, no, it wasn't caused by heat. So I wanted to make that comment. That's oh, one of the problems here. Um, then my questions. Um, currently, I don't have any Internet access because my computer died, and I understand that many people in um, – many poor people don't have Internet access. So my uh, access to information about the upcoming heat wave is basically NPR, but – the information is fairly general as to the entire state of California. So my my first question around that is, how can one get information about the projected highs, lows, daily and nightly temperatures in a particular city? Such my concerns right now are San Francisco and San Jose. Yeah. And do you have Internet access? Did you say you don't? I don't right now, and some of my clients do not. I don't because my computer died, and I don't use a cell phone. So before you answer that, I want to move on to my last question, which is <laughs> I've got sorry, I got a client in San Jose who's just been released from the hospital with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, kidney uh, uh, injury. He's just been diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma in his mm-hmm. nose and upper lip, so he's got breathing problems, and he lives in San Jose, and I'm really concerned that yeah. he will, he's going to be prone to injury, and Right now, the nurses are on strike at Kaiser, and I'm you know, he has Kaiser Medical Insurance, and I'm really concerned that he will not be able to develop a plan. Yeah, and he's 73 years old, and right now, you know, he's depending on his family to do that, and I need well, some advice on what yeah. to tell them. Yeah. Okay. Well, well so, let me give you a couple things. Lot, Our incredible okay. <laughs> producers have just shared with me, Grace Wan and Caroline Smith have shared with me that there is a phone number you can call that can pinpoint forecasts for several locations, including in San Jose. And that number is 831-656-1725. I'll also share that with other listeners who may not have internet access. And then also we can repeat that for you um, when we say goodbye. But let me ask Dr. Solomon about your friend. Dr. Solomon, any thoughts for what uh, Susan was describing about her friend in San Jose? Yeah, well, Susan's... um Susan's client is absolutely in the categories that we would be most concerned about. And I think one of the things um, that that's good here is that this gentleman has someone thinking of him. Um, so, you know, one easy thing to do is reach out to him. 
ask him uh, where he is, how hot it is, whether he's got any place to go where he could get air conditioning, make sure that, um, you know, he's drinking plenty of water and uh, putting, uh, you know, if he doesn't have air conditioning, wet cloths, wet towels um, on your body can help, wetting your hair, wetting your clothes um, as a way of cooling your skin. All of those things help. Um, but the most important thing that we can all be doing is checking in with anybody who we know who is at risk, especially if they're living alone. Um, yeah. And it's, it's something that I'll be doing as well. Well, Kelly, hearing Susan talk about the fact that she doesn't have Internet access just also brought back home again the inequities that you were talking about. And uh, one of the things I did want to ask you about was your research into schools, and in particular, the experience you had with satellite heat imagery zeroing in on a middle school in California. Can you tell us more about what happened? Yeah, so one of the ways we get a, um, a quick idea about where it's hot and where it is not in a city is through satellite imagery that can give us an estimate of the skin temperature of the earth. And so we were taking a look at some of these images in communities throughout Southern California, and we were zeroing in on the community of Watts. And when we looked at the community and looked at the imagery, we saw this big red spot, the red spot indicating the hottest area in all of Watts. And it, it, when we zoomed in on it, it was a middle school in, in the community of Watts. And not only the middle school, it was specifically the portions of the school that were the asphalt play yard and the artificial turf play field. Mm. So this was concerning to us because these are the areas where children, as, as um, the other caller was mentioning, you know, a vulnerable group are going to be recreating during peak heat hours of the day. And, and these are some of the hot, hottest areas in the whole community. And so then we zoomed out and we mapped out where all the elementary schools were in, in our areas of interest and found that basically they are almost always some of the hottest areas in any neighborhood. And that's because schools are hot by design. Schools were designed to have these big open sort of asphalt flat play areas. Um, and they also have big flat one story um, um, building structures typically in, in LAUSD at least. Um, and then not a lot of tree canopy. Trees tend to be located outside the periphery of schools. And so by design, we've created a situation where our children basically play on parking lots. And that's going to become increasingly untenable as it gets hotter and hotter in the future. Yeah, I was struck by the fact, I believe the Los Angeles Unified School District actually ranks campuses in order of the most asphalt and least amount of green space. And it found that it tended to be lower income schools or or schools in lower income neighborhoods, really, is the better way to say it, that were very high need. And that they also seem to overlap where academic achievement gaps are widest as well. You feel like heat is connected to that, right? Does heat make it harder to learn? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so another one of my colleagues at Luskin Center for Innovation did a study that showed nationally that uh, testing scores are reduced um, when children are exposed to conditions that are too hot. And I think this is something that the teachers that I've spoken with 
say kind of qualitatively that children when they're exposed to too much heat can't concentrate. Um, they can't think straightly to learn. And so if we don't create conditions that are habitable for children during the day, how can we expect them to have um, high learning outcomes? Well, Lisa writes, many people in my San Jose neighborhood are replacing their lawns with artificial grass. First, I'm wondering about the environmental impact of producing and disposing of this material, but what is the impact on neighborhood heat? Are we all better off just letting our yards go brown in the summer and embrace green weeds in the winter? I don't know if you have a quick thought on that. Yeah, asphalt and rubber materials can be, I mean, sorry, uh, artificial turf and rubber materials can be hotter than asphalt when exposed to direct sunlight. Really, the only way to make your environment cooler is to produce shade. Um, and you can do that through trees. Of course, those still require water. And you can do those through other structures. You know, some studies are finding now that um, shade structures other than trees can be more effective. But um, artificial turf is something that it was an experiment. It was a good idea and it does save water, but it is exceptionally hot and it doesn't provide a lot of other environmental benefits that we want, you know, such as, you know, places for biodiversity. Mm. Let me go to caller Michelle in Santa Rosa. Hi, Michelle. Hi there. Um, I, I just caught the end of the asphalt discussion and I'm wondering if, if and why we don't paint, paint the roads white. Would that help at all? Mm. Um, also, um, why don't we go back to basics and and try to make our our our, our city streets safe enough for kids to walk to school, so we can alleviate some of the traffic congestion? Has well, Michelle, thanks. Let me let me turn to you again on that, uh, Kelly. In terms yeah. of painting the asphalt white or or just some infrastructure changes, as mm -hmm. Michelle was saying, that maybe low hanging fruit. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, fortunately, Los Angeles is sort of a vanguard in the cool streets movement. We have more miles of cool pavement, I think. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's Phoenix or LA. But um, we're the, the streets department is experimenting with that and uh, doing that in parking lots. And it's a very, very effective way to reduce surface temperatures. One of the challenges with cool pavement is by, the way that it reduces surface temperatures is by reflecting the heat energy back into the atmosphere. And so if you are a person standing directly above that, that material, you can get a small heat penalty where the heat kind of increases your experience um, when you're standing directly above it. So for that reason, right now, experts are suggesting that we put cool pavement in places that are not high pedestrian use. But I'd also like to flag that cool pavement basically turns asphalt in, into having similar thermal properties as concrete sidewalks. So just to give you a reference point about what we're doing with the cool pavement. Well, thanks for that. We have asked listeners to share their tips or thoughts about how to keep cool. We've also asked them to talk about what temperatures they consider uncomfortable or if they've had any serious experiences with heat. And let me read, we're getting a lot, so let me read a few of them now. Barbara writes, what I find humorous, it's always men saying set your thermostats to 80 degrees because they'll be comfortable. They've never experienced menopause. I challenge a man in menopause to keep a thermostat at 80 degrees and be able to sleep through the night. 71 is a great temperature for sleeping. And if you're menopausal, 68. Kent tweets, hot weather tip, just get a small misting sprayer bottle, cooling, refreshing, 
works like a charm. Beth writes, living here in the hot Sierra foothills, I'm so glad we bought blackout drapes for all the windows. Wednesday evening at 7 p.m., it was 98 degrees outside, but 70 degrees inside, and the AC was not running. Some Come 6 a.m., we opened the doors to allow fresh, cool air in for a few hours. At 9 a.m., we closed the doors and the blackout drapes in order to hold in the cool temperature, which along with ceiling fans keep rooms cool. Aside from saving on the PG&E bill, we are doing our wee bit to help lift the strain on the power grid. We are talking about the long heat wave that we are in for lasting five to seven days, according to the meteorologist we had at the top of the show, David Lawrence, and how we should respond to it, how state and other officials are responding to it. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Speaking of state officials, let's hear from Governor Gavin Newsom, who also had another tip related to what Beth was saying with regard to trying to help lift the strain on the power grid. We voluntarily ask you to do a little bit more to help us get through the next week or so uh, to turn, interestingly, up a little bit the thermostat at home to 78 degrees. Try to pre-cool earlier in the day the, the home. Uh, try not to use uh, too much electricity in those key hours. And the key hours are between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. Uh, in the evening. Try to reduce your consumption to the extent possible. Dr. Solomon, what should we do if we cannot turn on AC, if that is even an option for us or other things that require electricity to keep cool? That The listeners that wrote in had some great tips. I think that misting and, and closing drapes and all of those techniques are, are useful and can be very effective. I think one of the things that this points to also um, is uh, some differences between the coastal areas of California and the inland areas. Um, in the coastal areas of California, people are typically used to cool temperatures. Many people don't have air conditioning. And although the temperatures during this heat wave are not going to get as hot along the coast, um, people are less adapted to heat. And I think one uh, important message is that it takes your body weeks to begin to adapt to heat. And uh, if you're not um, adapted and you don't have air conditioning, there's some additional risk. Uh, there was a big heat wave back in 2006. It lasted actually about two weeks. Um, and I did a study afterwards with some colleagues from uh, the Natural Resources Defense Council and Tracking California. We found that the biggest increase in hospitalizations and emergency department visits during that heat wave were actually in coastal communities, not inland. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a surprise finding. Yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> that, that's sort of the basis of the question about what temperature different people consider uncomfortable and, and keeping that in mind. Uh, if you live in Palm Springs is one thing, if you live on the coast, another. Also, as I'm hearing all of us talking about closing drapes and so on, that's if we have a, a window to close the drapes on. I know that you've also looked at the effects on the unhoused community. What kind of special attention or outreach needs to happen there, Dr. Solomon? 
There's a lot that can be done. Um, cooling centers. There's now a there's legislation um, actually in the past that already created community resilience centers, and now new legislation that um, that requires these centers uh, that requires counties to integrate them into local emergency plans. So um, there will be, um, I'm hoping, uh, with these changes, more. Um, more places for people to go uh, if they don't have a uh, if they don't have air conditioning or if they don't have a home. Um, it, in the meantime, uh, there are some public buildings that people can go to or libraries, or you know, really um, finding a shady place is is extremely important, and the community can help if there are unhoused people living near you. Um, just make sure that they have plenty of water to drink. And if they don't, um, pick up some cold water. Um, you know, I'm not normally a big fan of bottled water, but this is a situation where um, it's a good idea to yeah. hand it out and, and make it available so they can at least um, you know, stay hydrated and, and have something cool to drink. Matthew writes, postal workers are also severely affected by the heat. We work all day outside. We only have a small fan in our vehicles. No AC. We cannot start early or stop to rest very often. California cooling laws do not apply because we are a federal entity. We lose colleagues every summer to heat-related illness. Often we are overlooked in these conversations. Kelly Turner, what what more does the state need to do? I know that I've been hearing there are like heat officer program to try to address issues related to people who are most affected by heat. But I'm sure there is more that the state could be doing as more and more attention is being brought to heat. Yeah, the Luskin Center where I work um, has produced a series of policy briefs. Our first is on sort of overarching coordinating strategies, because currently right now we tend to bucket um, heat response in terms of heat as a hazard and emergency management, which we're focused on today, and then longer term land planning and infrastructure issues, but the two are really interrelated. Um, But the second thing is there are a lot of known gaps in what we're doing in terms of policy response. We've reviewed 100 75 municipal plans and for what is happening in terms of heat and found that there's a huge dearth of just heat policy in general. So there's a lot of low hanging fruit. And so far, Luskin Center has focused on two things. We focused on housing and we focused on schools. Um, I already touched a little bit on schools, but in terms of housing, for instance, we could think about what we need to do to make housing more tenantable. So right now, the standards in California say that housing for instance, has to, um, it can't be, uh, there are standards for how cold a house can be to be rentable, but we don't have similar standards for how hot. So we need to think about things like that, updating building codes for existing or privately owned buildings. Um, and also looking at different types, what what kind of housing falls through the gaps, like mobile homes. Yeah. Well, Kelly Turner, thank you for that. And also, Dr. Solomon, thank you as well. Thank you, listeners, for all the great tips. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.